0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News.
1: Welcome to The Views Room, a weekly podcast brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Lauren Silva-Laughlin coming to you from my home in Dallas, Texas. This week, I spoke to our fearless leader, Rob Cox, who's holed up in Switzerland. Rob wrote a great column about how we could see the US version of Saudi Aramco and other similar massive companies as governments and corporations push for mergers to shore up supply chains and create national giants and I've looped in contributing columnist and former colleague, Edward Chancellor, who also wrote about the slow march towards consolidation and the dangers it has created in the chicken and egg businesses, as well as many others. Happy listening. All right, guys, so you both wrote this week about a topic near and dear to my heart, which is m um, and but it really isn't just about mergers as we think of them. Um, more of a fundamental shift, I would say, in globalization and capitalism in some regards. So Eddie, let's start with you. You talk about chicken and egg supply chains in your piece, which I think is, at this point, more literal than figurative, say. Um, How is this really illustrative of of the shift that we're gonna see in mergers?
2: Well, um, to step back a minute is what we've seen over recent decades is a consolidation of, um, of global businesses along supply, ch- international supply chains and so forth. And people have been r- complaining about this for a while because monopolies uh, have certain harmful effects. They exacerbate inequality. They tend to be relatively inefficient. Um, and they tend to invest less and so forth. There's an excellent uh, book that was published last year by someone called Jonathan Tepper, called The Myth of Capitalism, and his thesis was that capitalism was really, the essence of capitalism was being undermined by the growth of these um, monopolies or oligopolies. Now, what was interesting about the COVID-19 crisis is that we started to see a new, a new dimension, a new problem to the, um, to the growth of oligopolies, cartels, and monopolies, namely that uh, supply chains were being suddenly interrupted. And uh, in, in Britain, for instance, uh, there was a shortage of eggs because it turned out there were only three uh, European manufacturer of egg cartons. So when the, uh, one of them went offline in Denmark, and suddenly it was uh, getting very difficult to get, 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 get your egg, have Eddie, your breakfast don't you have, egg.
0: Aren't you in some farm somewhere in the deepest of Dorchester? Where are you? Devon? I
2: do, I, are I'm you in it, some place. Dis-
0: disclosed location?
2: Are you <laughs> <I'm>, a, I <laughs> I'm in semi-lockdown in Somerset. I do have some chickens, or bantams speak be correct, which are, um, and their breed is called Welsomer, which is the same breed, uh, the same chicken as, as you see on the cover of a Kellogg's cornflake packet. But my um, chickens have been having a bad uh, crisis, uh, three of them ate rat poison. Um, and that brought them to an end. And the fourth one uh, was snatched by my dog. And uh, so that left me with one. So uh, you really didn't have to worry about that. You're the, highlighting
1: the, the need, actually <laughs> highlighting the need for consolidation in, in chicken production.
2: No, I need more diversity. And I we'll <laughs> go, back to, go back to the chicken problem. So there was a, there was a shortage of eggs uh, in the shops owing to lack of carton manufacturers. And at the same time, we were seeing in the U.S. Um, it, the, um, a, a collapse in um, pork production um, and in beef production, a really very severe collapse. And that appeared to be due to this the extreme concentration of the, uh, of the U.S. meatpacking in uh Industry amongst companies like Tyson's and Smithfields and so forth. Um, so all it takes is a few of these um, these mega meat packing um, plants to be taken out of uh, operation, and you get uh, a a collapse in the supply of of bacon, of bacon and uh, wieners to the American kitchen table, which uh, uh, for Americans is a national calamity
1: but rob you've sort of talked a little bit about how this issue is going to reshape specifically how this issue is going to reshape deals being done so on one hand you've got this really great example of how the us is going to have its own aramco but on the other hand it seems like you're talking a little bit about how companies are going to reshape so that they can fix the supply chain issue how do you kind of bring that together
0: well i guess i mean i was sort of riffing off eddie's jam um and you know he had this his Piece takes a big look at the, you know, the the, action, the way to make supply chains more resilient, is to actually have more competition, to have more supply, to not, not to consolidate. I'm right if I'm paraphrasing it right, Eddie. And the problem is that the public, we know how politicians respond to crisis, and they won't do that. The problem is what, 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 what we'll see something like we saw after the financial crisis of two thousand eight, and people said, oh well, we have weak and we have strong. The public, the easiest, most you know, easiest way for politicians to try to deal with some of these problems is to say, let's relax our views about competition and allow the strong to band together with the weak and to create these you know virtual as Eddie calls them oligopolies or monopolies that are easy you know in theory safer and theory easier to regulate. And so that was my point. So after the financial crisis, if you remember, you had the creation of some serious you know mega mega banks. So J.P. Morgan bought. Uh, Washington Mutual, it bought Bear Stearns. Uh, Wells Fargo bought Wacovia. BNP bought, uh, what was it, Fortis. Um, you know, all around the world, uh, TESB bought HBOS to create Lloyd's. Um, you had, you know, you've created these even larger, more systemic um, uh, institutions. We did, of course, do things like force them to have more capital and regulate them in ways that, that arguably has made them safer. We'll see about that. Um, and I think what you're gonna have now, look at the distress in some of the most distressed industries in the world right now, and, or we can look in the United States. So oil drillers um, in your backyard there in Texas, uh, Lauren. You know, they, everyone out there was doing fine when, they, when you know, oil prices were 50 bucks a barrel. Now it's at 20 something, they're getting killed. And what do they do? They want, they want uh, help. And the government's gonna maybe give them money or free, you know, cheap money. Um, what's probably gonna happen is consolidation there. And the argument they'll make is, well, you know, look at them—we're up against a market that's controlled by a very, very large company, Saudi Aramco, with you know, one point six trillion dollar market cap, down on what is two hundred and eighty billion of approved reserves. You know, that's going to that'll change the the whole approach to antitrust in the oil the business over time. And so you'll see the likes of a of a, I don't know Exxon, Chevron, BP, whatever these guys getting together. And I think you can—I mean, the point I'm making is. There's a, any number of industries that are in similar distress. Airlines now going into this, no one would have said that that having whatever four carriers in the United States was was um, was a, created a competitive landscape. But now they're all basically only alive because of government assistance. Do you think would it surprise anyone to believe that they will go down to three or two? Well, I mean
1: especially with the taxpayers involved now and they, they actually have a financial stake in being sure that uh, that those industries survive but let's maybe stick with oil just for a minute because um, in the context of regulation it's very interesting I mean there was some move at least in the US and other places to have sort of more protectionist type MA be approved even before coronavirus hit um, and you can see with the administration having a sort of America first policy why deals, especially in oil, might go through what they otherwise might not have. Um, but what really is the fallout from that? Like, is this something that, you? Know, it sounds like Eddie too, what you're saying is that the, the gradual march towards mergers has been really ultimately bad on all levels. We've always kind of known the risks for consumers, we've known the risk for employees, but there's real risk actually for production and, and pricing and other things.
2: Yes, I mean, I, I think, There are two points I'd make. One is that um, that globalization has driven uh, the the growth of big business. Um, But deglobalization will then drive the return of the national champion. See, the Chinese have been pursuing national champions for a while, while the rest of the world took this liberal approach, saying it didn't really matter where things were manufactured. Now I think people are beginning to understand, particularly in healthcare, that actually it does matter that you have certain essential supplies closer to home. And I think that that means there's another impetus towards um, towards building uh, larger domestic champions at home. So that that's one source. Or of merger, you know, for better or for worse, it's one political drive towards creating uh, bigger companies. And the other factor, which I think people are in danger of overlooking, is that actually the the, the easiest way to uh, or the greatest push towards um, large companies and mergers is cheap funding. And the Federal Reserve has actually lowered interest rates, um, you know, even lower. Uh, than they were over the last cycle. And that means that large companies with better credit ratings, better access to the capital markets will be in a, a better position to, um, to, to, to to issue paper and merge. And, and I think that, I mean, one of the points that Jonathan Tepper makes in his book is that cartels tend to form during periods when interest rates are low. And I, I think you know, i'm not saying we want this outcome and i'm not saying it's good for humanity it's probably not good politically because his, you know the in the americans in the a century ago had uh, had there was strong political feeling that big business was too powerful um in fact actually it's probably um more powerful today than it was in the in the era of roosevelt and and woodrow wilson but but i i don't think we can we, we're in a position to stop the, the Teddy Roosevelt.
0: That is stuff. the trust buster you're referring to.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking of Teddy Roosevelt, but yeah, but yeah. actually, you know, FDR FDR was in the same vein as well, I and mean, they, they both really took. The but same it's
0: funny view. you say. You know, the, in your piece, you you point that out, um, and then the, the, you also mention Elizabeth Warren, the U.S. senator from Massachusetts, who has actually had put at least during the um, the primary run for the Democratic nomination had put this issue of of over-concentration of, of uh, industrial or, or business and power uh, on, the, on the front burner, but it seems to have, she's just got nowhere with it. Although I'm sure that there are a lot of people who, who would find common cause with that who are supporters of Donald Trump.
2: Um, well, Rob, I mean, we've discussed this in the past, how you told me that Google is all it's, you know Google is waiting to be broken up. It, it, and I, I imagine Amazon is waiting to be broken up too. They can't really believe their luck that, you know, where, why was Standard Oil broken up? Why was AT&T broken up? And why do Amazon and Google have a complete carte blanche? And, and likewise, Facebook. And why is Facebook allowed to take over, you know, all these social networking sites? Or Microsoft.
1: And, but at the same time, they've actually been companies that have done their service throughout this crisis. I mean, it's hard to make an argument that those companies should be broken up, when Amazon is actually the one company bringing people the goods that they need right now. Right. So it, you know, you can be sort of sympathetic to their cause in some ways. But you they've
0: just done said a it. The one job. company. The one company. That is the definition of a monopoly.
2: Yes, and 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 also, Lauren, you have to bear in mind that we—I'm mean, no doubt—all of us are receiving Amazon deliveries at this time, but it's in part because all the other stores have been closed down. So this is not Amazon, which has a rather fractious relationship with the with the Trump White House, to say <laughs> to say the least, is actually the prime beneficiary of the lockdown. There is—I mean—as my former analyst said to me, it's as if Amazon had created the coronavirus in order to extend its monopoly. There is no business that has done so well.
0: Maybe Domino's,
1: well, Lauren's favorite piece. <laughs> has, we can get there in a minute.
0: But, but I'm, and have, I made an argument last week the that call, they should... but
1: Arguably, yeah. they've answered the call better than like a 3M say, you know? I mean, really, if you think about global companies and how they've changed in ways that are helpful, Um, You could argue that manufacturing back in the 1940s during wartime was very centralized and therefore more inclined to help people in their neighborhoods, say. Whereas now you have an Amazon that is under attack for all sorts of reasons, being monopolistic is just one of them. And yet they have probably helped the average person more than 3M has done. Um, I mean, I'm not saying necessarily that I would disagree with Amazon being broken up. But I'm, I am saying that after this crisis, they've done a fairly good job of showing that they can-
0: Sure, but the point that the is, I think is making is that this was a gift given to them by governments making a decision to lock down every, everyone else who is smaller, doesn't have the capital, doesn't have the advantage that low interest rates give them. Um, and so there is, a, which is my other argument for why they should be paying um, you know, some sort of windfall tax. I mean the companies that are benefiting from a decision by governments that had nothing to do with companies, um, you know. The, so, but I mean the same. Ar- the argument that as Donald Trump and others have made is it's nobody's fault, has another side to that, which is well then it's not your credit either. To your credit that the that your business, whether you're Amazon uh, or yeah, other people, have stepped up. Yeah,
1: it seems yeah, to that me that just,
0: you know. Yeah. But so, Eddie, but what can I ask you, Eddie? Eddie, what I mean, how do you, how do you? I, know, I love, you know, you have, you're good at putting these things in, in this historical context and thinking about the big picture. How do you think, though, it will actually play out? Like, what do you think it, do you think we'll have a replay of, you know, my argument that we'll go back and do the same dumb public policy decisions and allow too much consolidation as a result of this? Or do you think there is actually a chance that, that uh, policymakers see the light and, you know, try to find a way to create competition in more diverse um supplies chains
2: well um when i was um doing the work for the piece i wrote on 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 oligopolies and and big business i i called um i called up jonathan tepper to ask him about his views because i'd been very impressed by his book and his his book came out last year and it had this sort of optimistic um you know this optimistic um Vision that if only we could get together, we could uh, dismantle big business, um, break them all up, um, encourage um, you know um, smaller entrepreneurial businesses to come to come forward, and and to um, and and that therefore capitalism could be there could be a renaissance of capitalism. That was the message of his book. Uh, There are still, I mean, I don't know if you've come across it, there's this outfit called The Open Markets, have you come across them? There's this guy who's written another book, which I didn't think is so good, called Matt Matt Stoller, does that mean anything to you? Written a book called Goliath that came out couple of months ago but i i'm i i didn't mention it in my um, in my piece because i didn't think it's sort of quite good enough uh, but anyhow so there are these advocates <laughs> there are these advocates for breaking up the biz business but when i spoke to tepper he couldn't have been more depressed he said you know yes i wrote that last year but it you know but all hope has been extinguished by the lockdown And and i think the way i see the lockdown is it's really it's a it's an extinction event it's a bit like um you know a a meteor hitting the earth and whereas when the meteor, what 60 million years ago hit the earth it actually wiped out the dinosaurs this is a meteor that hits the earth keeps all the corporate dinosaurs alive and kills off all the little um all the little mice all the little mammals (laughs) have been wiped out and just
0: a diverse biosphere
2: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and and I. And so the question then is, is there a political pushback? And I do think that Elizabeth Warren actually sort of understood it. <laughs> and she understood the, you know, the, the problems created by over-concentrated industry. And um, one might not agree with all of her, her agenda, but she was definitely, if you will, a sort of a progressive populist in the um, in the vein or the of of the Teddy Roosevelts of this world, There was a very common position, you know, 120 years ago, and but the but for some reason, that doesn't get enough traction today, and it, it may be perhaps as Lauren says, you know, Amazon is just simply so convenient that we're prepared to um, su- you know, surrender all our concerns. Um, Uh, political concerns, among other things, uh, just for the convenience of having uh, a delivery, um, a prompt delivery of, you know, whatever you, uh, whatever you want. Fresh bantam chicks.
1: (laughs) Wait, Rob, so can I put you on the spot then to answer the same question that you just asked Eddie, which is, do you think that, what do you think governments will do and do you think that they'll succeed in pushing back against this?
0: I, I don't think they will. I think, I think, you know, I think different governments you have to look at, I mean, at the UK government will have a different approach. Um, I, I guess I would be more pessimistic about the United States where the influence of money in politics is just so insidious at this point. And it means, you know, basically everybody gets purchased. I mean, okay, that's a bit of a generalization, but generally speaking, yes, there's, it's way too easy for business to get its bidding done in the Senate um, and in the House of Representatives. And, uh, and I worry that, that that means, you know, we're going to go right back to what we did after the, well, that was my whole point of my point. I do believe there'll be a American Aramco that's going to come out of this and everybody's going to kind of look the other way on antitrust and all these issues that Eddie and Jonathan Tepper and other people have raised. I don't know if that's going to be the case everywhere. The, you know, the European Union, I think, you know, Eddie's favorite institution is, uh, I think will actually be a vanguard for, for continue to try to fight the good fight on um, on, all, on this, this issue. But at the same time, you have to remember, even before all this happened, the fear of China drove Siemens and Alstom to try to merge their rail business to, to create a, a true you know, duopoly with the Chinese CRCC. And, the, and this was basically fostered by the French and German governments. And it was only the European Commission's antitrust person, Margaret Vestager who was able to apply the actual law and say, this is not in compliance with antitrust laws. Guess what, as a result of this crisis and everything, I bet you they rethink those laws themselves. So I guess I'm of pessimistic. Yeah, Can I Can
2: I add something, Rob? So there was a piece today in The Telegraph by Ambrose Evans Pritchard, who covers uh, Europe from a sort of jaundice perspective. And he, he makes an interesting point that the Germans, using the um using their state industrial bank kfw are actually providing massive subsidies to german industries while and this is in contravention of 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 european competition law which has just been put on hold at the same the germans at the same time no other country is match in europe is matching the germans corporate funding and Evans Pritchard says and this is probably something worth following up is that this puts German positions in a very German companies in a very good position to consolidate across the rest of Europe particularly in Italy and other places and which to some extent is what the Germans did during the austerity imposed on Greece after the European crisis so this is sort of eurozone crisis mark 2 which is possibly going to be followed by German corporate um, hoovering up of weakened European businesses.
0: That's really, yeah, KFW is meant to, I believe, help small and medium enterprises. And, but it has also turned out to be the biggest lender, or to do a huge loan to Adidas the other day, for instance. When, and we were sort of puzzling. We, why is KFW lending to Adidas? Why does Adidas need to go to a state development bank, whatever you want to call it, rather than the capital markets? It seemed odd. I think it had something to do with the fact that they didn't have a credit rating but um but it, it is fascinating to think that so I think that, I think you're right I think we're, I just don't think I don't see anyone out there who is going to make the case that their companies there you know any government out there's going to make the case that its companies should be less powerful. I just don't see that at the moment, and that's that's how you get yourself into um, you know the kind of world that you and Jonathan Tepper described in I think your your headline for your story, Eddie, is something like uh, "You'll get what is it?" S- something. Like, uh, oh, I should find it. But it was. Uh, oh, it says Eddie's breakfast. I shouldn't because you talked about the eggs. <laughs> that was probably that was probably a holding title. I should have changed that. <laughs> I was I was worried about that. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Eddie. Um, <laughs> I totally forgot. Big is beautiful. Will also be ugly.
1: Okay, so I have one more quick question then before we wrap up. Just one word answer. Who wins in this?
2: Who are you asking? The tech giants. The tech giants are the, are the clear winners because the lockdown has, again, has accelerated um, our shift into sort of into a sort of cyber world. I mean, it, it, in fact, actually, if you you think about it, twenty years ago, the lockdown would have been unfeasible. i w- whether it's uh, as as some column I read yesterday said, it was the worst, possibly the worst decision in history. Whether it is or not, it would have been an unfeasible decision prior to the you know the you know the era of net Netflix, Facebook, and and, and Amazon and they and 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 you can see that those are the companies that have have been immeasurably strengthened by the crisis yeah, and in fact exactly. actually also i mean you didn't rob you were mentioning that i mean this breaking news covered this but the fact is that uh, not just amazon deliveries but the fact that apple and google are, um, are developing a COVID 19 tracking app uh, which is obviously going to be better than the one developed by the nhs in britain uh is is making them indispensable um, and you know, and as I said in the email earlier to you, once moving towards this sort of dystopian sci-fi vision of, you know, the um, the Tyrell Corporation in in Blade Runner, or um, I can't remember the one. There's the a single corporation in in um, Aliens. Uh, I not remember what it's called. <laughs> See, one is just moving in that direction. It, it, it's, and one is suddenly, and the one weird thing about COVID-19 is, all these things, you were moving in this direction, suddenly you enter into warp speed. You suddenly sort of, these things have accelerated in a two months that what might have taken 10 years otherwise to have got there.
0: Yeah, I agree with Eddie. I think a big, I think we wrote the piece Gina Chan wrote last week. Um, which was that you know, big tech is going to the, be the big winner. And I would add, not just the fangs or whatever they're called, the one you got to look at is Microsoft. I mean, it is now the largest market cap company outside of Saudi Aramco in the world. It has become critical infrastructure Zeddy says we wouldn't have been able to do this before, were it not for Microsoft or you know, which has basically provided the infrastructure for all of this stuff. And you add in, you know Netflix is one of them, Alphabet, Google, um, you know i don't really know what facebook's doing there but i'm sure they're doing they're getting more um you know they're they're getting more of people's time and uh and amazon it's just uh, on and as you say it's how it it only is going they are only going to emerge stronger as a result of decisions that were not completely out of their control um and i think that's where i at some point there has to be a proper reckoning with how to recognize that we've put out whatever it is we've extinguished the small dinosaurs so that we just have a few brontosauruses out there figure at least how to how to make sure that we control the brontosauruses
1: (laughs) all right well thank you both this is great
0: thanks lauren thanks eddie
1: that's our show for this week a big thank you to rob and eddie and hats off to jamie lowe in hong kong and our producer freddie joiner in new york our final thanks go to you our listeners for tuning in Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. Check us out every day at BreakingViews.com. And don't forget to tune in next week for another edition. So long and stay healthy.